when we get to our silly season, I think we, we got to talk about it a bit more. Wow. You know what? Yeah, I know because I'm going to make the call now. I mean, I'm sure Eric will move this into the right spot, but I think, you know what? Comes to Monaco and Danny Rick shows up and, you know, he won the race, what, two years ago? Last year. Last year. He won based on a couple of very, very... Uh, Did not win Monaco last year at all. Was it the year before? No, no. Yes. Yes. Oh, it was Monza he won last year based on on accidents. Yes. That's right. Sorry. That's right. Last year in Monaco, they had the great livery and then they couldn't finish the race in them. Um, by the way. Norris was on the podium last year, Monaco. Norris was on the podium. Was he? Are you watching the same races we watch? Rin, I know it's been a long weekend and the electricity's been off. So you've been like, well, guess we're just going to make sure the liquor in the cabinet doesn't spoil. That's kind of where I've been at. <laughs> and it's lights out on another episode of Flippin' F1. The circus wound its way to the usually sleepy Spanish Grand Prix, which accounts for Gareth getting a little bit of extra nap this week. But the race turned out to be a particularly spicy chorizo. We saw the bulls on parade, but not without their controversy. The return of the Merc, and of course I'm saying that just to annoy Stax because I'm sticking to that pop culture reference until it works. Carlos missing out on a podium, Charles in a bit of a tailspin, and so much more. Joining me as always is our intrepid panel of poorly informed but richly opinionated fan fellas, with the exception of one Andrew Spencer, who's too busy adulting tonight to come out and play. Wait, 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 is that Spence I hear? Jeez, guys, oh jeez. I got to go be a partner and do a deal. I got deals, deals, deals. Oh, yes. The Spence marionette makes an appearance. Back from his Mexican hiatus is a raved about and roasted professor. Sir, have you recovered from the hangover? And how badly did that hula dance sunburn your legs? I have recovered from the hangover. Got COVID on the process of coming back. So that was fun. And, you know, haven't had a chance to talk with our co-host who filled in and sort of, you know, respect the picking I got all the way through, shall we say. And with love. Yeah, I was going to say, you should lick the lime, not <laughs> the railings, man. What the hell? Oh, is that what I did wrong? <laughs> ah, shoot. And of course, never to be missed is our technical maven and master mechanical plaster. G-Stax is in the house. Tell me, sir, how goes your Victoria Day long weekend? Delightfully relaxing. Doing nothing is the best form of vacation. Yeah, no doubt. And I, of course, your host that you love to broast, Randy, just barely survived from the storms that hit our fair town that saw us blacked out for over two days, but recover enough to record this by sheer will of our eight fans. Thank you, Mama Glover. So let's get into it. Fellas, tell me your impressions of the Spanish GP weekend. Just I was amazed. It was not a snooze fest. I mean, Spain historically is not the most entertaining of circuits. I think of all the races I've watched, it's not always the one I look forward to. I don't know why that is, just never seems to entice me as much. And this time I was glad I actually woke up in time for the right session and watched them race. And I thought it was pretty competitive and good, except for like the last 20 laps, which were a little bit boring. <laughs> I know they did it weird, like the boring middle part was scintillating and then the yeah. end was just like, yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah. It was like, oh, okay, it's done. All right. Moving on. So yeah, it was different. It was definitely a different race this time. Gareth, you watched it in retrospectively, I'm, I'm imagining, because you slept through most of it. So I actually <laughs> slept through the exciting part, tuned in literally the lap after Leclerc's engine exploded and it was <laughs> 
kind of all over except for the you know Red Bull Police Swap places. Yeah, we'll get into that because <laughs> isn't that called multi twenty one in, in Red Bull language? Only if Seb's there. Multi twenty one Seb. Multi twenty. Oh, only if Seb's there. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was delightful. I think it's a race that kind of gave us a little bit of everything. We had mechanical drama, team drama, drivers being able to charge through the back. We've got a competitive Mercedes Benz. There weren't many accidents. I mean, that was the one level of drama that didn't exist in this trial, well, which I think is already. I mean, there were some comings together. Yeah, but not really like tumultuously no. ones. I mean, yes, okay, the K-Mag Hamilton incident on uh, on four. corner four of the first lap. Gasly taps stroll around, and then we had both Carlos Sainz and Max Verstappen had unassisted spins or assisted by the hand of God. There were off some spins, <laughs> but everybody kept going. It was kind of interesting. There was no yeah. <laughs> big smash into the wall. Like this might have actually been our first race weekend of the year without a red flag. I think so. I didn't session. see any red flags at all this weekend. So, Professor, tell us about this track, right? You say it's normally boring, and I actually agree with you on this, but tell us a little bit about the history of Spain and some of the maybe somewhat classic races in Spain. Classic races, that I don't know, because I will tell you, I tune out Spain races yeah. most of the time. But the circuit itself, they've been coming here for, I think, the better part of the last 40 years. They even practice here almost every season. We'll uh, do a, a set of stints of practice days. So the teams know this track pretty much like the back of their hand. For the most part, it's got some beautiful straights and some nice flowing turns. And then they've got this one horrible little section up in the top sort of right as I'm looking at it right now, the corners 13, 14, and 15 that are sort of 90 degree turns, which throw the car into complete spasm, I swear. And everybody's questioning, well, why are some of those turns really there when you look at the nature of the track and, and how everything else sort of flows and is challenging. But it is a challenging circuit. It's got high elevations on the circuit itself. It's got some tight turns we've talked about, flowing corners. It's got blind corners. If you're coming up from eight to nine, you don't know really where that apex is. You can't see it until you're actually in it. And so good track from that perspective. The drivers love the track because they know the track so well uh, and they always do very well there. Uh, memorable races. The only one that really I remember is 2016, and that was uh, Lewis Hamilton and Nico Rosberg tangling on the first lap between corners three and four. Oh man, that was brutal. That was their like shunting. That was their coming together. That was the end of their relationship and also the end of Lewis Hamilton's 2016 campaign, yeah, really. Much. Uh, yeah. it, it wasn't, but I mean, that loss cemented Nico Rosberg being able to, at the end of the year, having such a, the number over him. So, you know, it's a good circuit from that perspective. Yeah, no, and that's fair. Stax, tell us more about some of the technical aspects of this particular track. One of the kind of interesting technical aspects is we had said, oh, everybody's going to bring upgrades for the Monza race, Emilia Romagna, and most folks didn't. But now that we're back kind of in a European leg, it's not a sprint weekend. A lot of teams brought upgrades. You might've heard the word B-spec kicked around. Aston Martin seems to have had a somewhat brand new car. If you don't think, hey, well, it looks a lot like a Red Bull. Oh, so, so hold on a sec. Was that... A B-spec or an RB-spec that Aston Martin brought? An RBR-spec. <laughs> yeah, an RBR-spec. Yeah, so some big upgrades. I think Mercedes-Benz, they had another floor upgrade, which seems to solve their porpoising problems. Aston had this great big package that I think we don't understand, but should be fast, but we weren't fast. And a bunch of folks brought a few other upgrades. This is what's called a compromise track. You've got some big, sweeping, fantastic high-speed corners. And then you've got that horrible fiddly bit at the end that Phil talked about that used to be a big sweeping high-speed corner. 
that isn't anymore because safety and runoff. So you have to have a kind of a good combination of both mechanical grip and your aerodynamic grip on this track. Yeah, I mean, and I'll say this as well. This is historically a circuit that they always bring mm-hmm. upgrades to. I mean, if you look back, Spain's always been that track and that circuit when they've launched new parts for the cars. Because they test it. Because you test it, you have baseline. It makes sense. They get to throw them on and say, ah, now we're seeing what the car is yeah. really doing. So it's a great comparative tool. But it was surprising that some of the teams, Haas, for example, didn't bring anything. And my theory on that is Haas has developed a minimally viable <laughs> F1 product to get them to eighth in the standings, which is where they're going to finish. It's where they are right now. They've got Aston and Williams behind them. And I'm going to bet that they're going to just conserve resources, put it towards next year's car, and maybe get some trickle downs from Ferrari, but they're not going to develop their car a huge amount. Wasn't that last year's strategy? Well, no, last year's strategy was running the previous year's car with just a different livery on it. Right. This is a modification. They're going to run this year's car, not modified. I don't know. I think they will probably bring some updates <laughs> to it. I think some of the reason, I mean, we can put on the, the tinfoil hat here and say that it's the lack of money that they have. Yep. But they didn't need that you're all Kawhi money. They told everybody they didn't need it. Yeah, come on. <laughs> come on. Of course they need it. Who doesn't need extra sponsorship money when you're I was going to say, well, it was like, they didn't need that money and they still hired Mazepin? Are you fucking kidding me? Like, really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, and I think what they've had to do with that money is they haven't given it back, but they also haven't spent it. They probably just got it. I can't imagine the lawyers will let them spend it just yet. Well, I'm, I'm going to say if you are their lawyer, you say you put this in an interest bearing account and you leave it alone because there's going to be massive litigation about this money. Oh, good. So they're basically the Ontario government. Awesome. <laughs> You'd know yeah, you live there. Exactly. I mean, Spain, I know it's technically a quote unquote boring race, but it's one that like if we get out to a European race, that I think we should go to. I think we'd have a blast in Spain. Something else that's really important to point out about Spain this year, that Europe's under a heat wave. You know, the storms that we had here in Ontario and the global warming that Europe is having, uh, it was incredibly hot, like high 30s, I think, at the track and the track temperature. Yeah, it was almost seven on the track on race day, I thought. Yeah. So these are late spring, early summer temperatures out there. And I think we saw that there was a, or technical issues arising from that for more than a few cars. Got a couple of Ferraris that went pop, a couple of Mercs that threatened to go pop, and some DRS bits that who knows if those were heat related or not. Were going pop. Yeah, well, they, yeah. they weren't going pop. That was a problem. Yeah, it was just O-rings that melted. No, I mean, I will say this. It would be a fun circuit to go to. I mean, I think Spain, you're always going to have a lot of people there. I mean, this was 150,000 people on race day. Apparently the logistics were horrible. People were standing in line for hours just to, I don't know, buy water, yeah. go to the bathroom. Yeah. yeah, well, but I'm sure if Spencer here, he would be talking about Tempranillo and tapas and like, Good you food. know, lots of great food, Good lots food. of and, nice and, wine and, and affordable food. food. I mean, yeah, if yeah. you get a party for a weekend and go to a race, I mean, that's the way to do it. As cheaply as possible. And it's just outside Barcelona, so some good stuff yeah. there too. But yeah, it would be a fun place to go for sure. Yeah, no, no I think it'd be a good time. I, I think Spain is, is kind of one of those races I don't know. I mean, I think the fan base is a little interesting in Spain because it opens itself up to just whatever, right? I think this year was really interesting because you had two actual Spanish racers in Fred and Carlos in the race, which like before Carlos, that really wasn't a thing. I don't think. Well, before Alonso. 
Yeah, I mean, I think certainly the hype of yeah. uh, once Alonso was on the circuit, that's what's picked up the popularity of the track and the fan base yeah. there. Carlos going to Ferrari and, and doing so well, yes. that has helped to sort of build the fan base and support for the sport in Spain. You know, but it's always been popular. It's always been a popular track. You've pretty much always historically had 100,000 people in there. But yeah, I think it'd be a good place to go for one day. For sure. Bingo! Yes, that's right. It's everybody's favorite game, Box, 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 Bingo, where we make terribly, terribly, wonderfully misinformed predictions. We try to get a line somewhere along the way, whether diagonal or straight, and Gareth always tries to take the win anyways. There are nine boxes in Box, 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 Bingo. Every time we do a middle box, this time, at least this season, everybody gets a different middle box. This middle box this week was a launch out, but that didn't happen, so nobody gets the middle box. So you got to win on the outside. I guess, what, three weeks in a row now? No, no, no. <laughs> and last week, everybody had the middle box. Nobody scored it. See, I wasn't here. That's the problem. Yeah, see, this week we know at least two of you have the top corner box, box number one. So let's talk quality grid. Professor, how'd you do? I did really well because I got all the right five drivers. Not necessarily in the right order, but I got all right five drivers. Leclerc, Verstappen, Sainz, Perez, and Russell. I took a gamble, put Russell in, and yeah, he did well in the quality. So he did. Gareth, how'd they finish? So the quality top five for the grid, it was Leclerc, Verstappen, Sainz, Russell, and Perez in fifth, who, and just going to sub in for Andrew Spencer here, he actually had all five as well. So he get a point, except he got to be here to win. So Andrew Spencer, you lost. Uh, uh, so he loses no. all his points for next time too. <laughs> you got to be in it to win it like Iserman. It's like Lotto, baby. You got to be in it to win it. <laughs> you got to be there. Yeah. And for me, I just spent, like, we were both predicting that signs would, he seemed strong all weekend, like, come on at home, put it on pole. Didn't happen. And the Mercs looked really strong. I had just like, I think you ran like both of the Mercs in the top five yep. and Perez kind of scraped into fifth there. And he said, well, I had to give up FP1 running for Yuri Vips, Formula Two driver. And that really hampered me. So. Points to Phil and the rest of us move on. Well, I mean, nobody gets a point unless we get a line, but Phil gets the box for sure. <laughs> that, I think that's the first time I've been here and got points. And that's a good one, right? Phil finally wins a box. And right yeah. wins a box. Like, that was solid. Don't worry, it won't stay that way. Yeah, I mean, I, I had Leclerc, <laughs> Verstappen, and Science, but then I had both Hamilton and Russell. You know, it didn't quite happen how I hope it might, but it was still there. You know, George has proven himself to be Mr. Saturday still, so... It's all right. George is not. George is more than Mr. Saturday. He's proven himself to be able to handle and race that car incredibly yeah, well. George has this thing nailed. And probably better than Hamilton is right now, if we're going to be honest. Now, he's out racing Hamilton. He's also, let's perhaps say, being the better calmer team player. Well, I think so. But I also think it has to do, and Randy's going to hate this, but this is my theory on this one. Hamilton's had a good car for eight seasons. He's had a great car for eight seasons. Russell... For the last two or three seasons, he's been with Williams. He's had to fight. He's had to fight the car to get it to work for him. So having to push a car to its limits a little bit that way, I think he's already in the know-how. Hamilton's struggling with that. The car's not where he wants the car to be. All right. Well, listeners, listen to Phil faint because I'm just about to agree with him. He's absolutely right. Oh, my God. Right? <laughs> Hamilton, like, Ham's had top cars and top billing the whole time where... 
Russell has faced adversity and he's faced a car that he needed to fight, needed to work. And now he's got a car that like, it's hard to drive, but he knows how to make it work for him because it's. He spent three years at Williams driving hard to drive cars and saying, yeah, here's stuff that's not perfect. This is how I adapt my style. I'm Phil, you can faint now because I will also agree with you. Oh my God, this, I'm glad this is recorded. First of all, uh, you, I'm going to keep playing this over and over scored, again. You scored a point in the game already and we've all agreed with you. Oh, geez. I should quit now. Okay. Have a good podcast, guys. I'm leaving now. Phil, this is a COVID <laughs> fever dream. <laughs> I'm being brought back down to human life now again. Thank you. And of course, we go to the box four bottom qualifiers where the lawyers decided to have it out this week because I, your host, and also the one who actually writes the damn thing, put down bottom five qualifiers. One lawyer says, okay, good. Qualifiers, right? So like, let's let the penalties apply. Let's do all this stuff. And the other one says, no, no, no. This should be the grid, whether or not they qualified or not. And Phil and I just kind of sat by saying, I don't know. We're going to be the HR guy says, who are the humans on the grid? Just put them there. So, no, no. It, no, but it's not it, just that. It's what was the intent. The intention I'm is sorry, qualifiers. Phil, the would... court's not going to read the intent of the parties into this. <sighs> look at Actually, this. Actually, the court will read intent into a lot of things, Gareth. Tell me when you litigate. It's the bottom five qualifiers. It's how they did in qualifying. Randy can go back and change the template to bottom five grid. That's fine. And we can do that going forward. But it's how they qualified before all the penalties were applied. Absolutely. So for anybody who is listening, and if you haven't fallen asleep yet, you know, having two lawyers on the team is so much fun. Only thing better would be to bring in an accountant. Do we know anybody? I do. Many. Let me, let, let me reach out. We got to know one or two. Maybe find a pharmacist and an actuary and a business evaluator will be a way to the races. I've got an actuarial list next door, by the way. So, you know, we can go. <laughs> we had a baker, a candlestick maker, and I don't know what the other one was. So, anyway, back to the bottom five. All right. So how whatever finish, we're calling Gareth, it. Before we even talk about our. The bottom five qualifiers were Vettel, Alonzo, Stroll. Guess what? That green Red Bull isn't working that well. Albon and Nick Latifi was last. So, that, that's how they qualified. Lined up on the grid a bit differently. I think Allo took an engine penalty, started last. Didn't Gasly start in the back somewhere, or did he actually make it into Q2? No, he made it onto the grid. Just. He made it onto the grid. All Red Bulls and Alpha Tauris were struggling getting their fuel temperature into the right window before they left the pits. Getting something into the window, yeah. You know, so they were all late. Pretty much, I mean, and Verstappen was literally late leaving the pits for the grid uh, with like two seconds to spare. So, but they all made it. Yes, did take a penalty. So he was right at the back. But I think when you look at the layouts, really everybody guessed that Albon and Latifi would be at the back there, but the rest of it kind of up in the air was all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I had guessed that Bottas had not seemed strong all weekend. So I figured the guy who qualified, what he qualified six was going to be in the bottom five. Didn't happen. Same with Joe and uh, even Mick Schumacher. He wasn't looking so hot. And holy hell, we had two hosses into Q3 at virtue of a penalty, but whatever. So I did not win anything in this box. Yeah, I got nothing in this box. I had Gasly qualifying last or coming in the back of the grid because I just didn't think we get that car out. You know, FP1, he didn't do so great. FP2, he didn't even run, did he? Mm. Yeah, he ran FP2. So he didn't run FP1. Uh, but I think FP3, he had the issue, right? And so they had to get the car fixed for, for quality. Yeah. Will had MSC, which I think we all lose this box just for underestimating Haas. Yeah, I mean, I think we all looked at what Mick was doing or had done in the practice sessions, and, and he was not particularly great. But then 
come qualifying, he found some pace in the car game. I don't know. I feel like that Haas is the biggest outlier in anything. Either Mick can drive it or he can't. Because we know K-Man can drive his. He's got it nailed. But like Mick is the wild card. He's the crazy ace. So no points oh. for anybody. Moving on to our next box, Rand. Yeah, all right. So let's go over to top five finishers. And this one is carefully worded because, you know what? I want the top five finishers and the, the bottom five finishers. So how'd they finish in the top five? Verstappen, Perez, and talk about that later. George Russell and his Mercedes uh, solid podium in third. Carlos Sainz recovered to fourth. And Lewis Hamilton uh, with managing engine problems skated into fifth. Okay, so I know this is going to be popular, but let's talk about that Hamilton drive because, wow. I think it is going to be popular. You'd be amazed. I'm going to agree what with you hell? on what? this round. This is crazy. What has happened that, in this podcast? And that sound, listeners, the sound of Randy's Nanjad faint his head hitting the keyboard. <laughs> what is happening tonight? <laughs> Phil agrees with that. No, I think, honestly, Hamilton drove amazingly well. You know, from that first corner four incident with Magnuson, where he literally went back yeah. down to the end. And then he was able to get it into fourth and then unfortunately ended in fifth at the end of the day. No, he did great. He was fantastic. I mean, and, and you can't deny that. Again, if that car hadn't been damaged, if he hadn't come together with K-Mag, like what could have been in that race for him and for the Mercs? Like, I'm not saying he would have been on the podium, but I think there would have been a much more fun strategy play between the Mercs and they would have been in an interesting position where they had to make some decisions that they didn't want to make. I think the Merc is a solid number three in terms of the speed yeah. of it and, and consistency of it. It certainly seems to be somewhat reliable with the exception of it sounded like it was the wheels were falling off the wagon literally at the last lap. Yes. <laughs> we'll get to that a little bit there. But no, it's a good car. They've got good drivers and I think they're consistently just holding in and, and holding on and not having races where they just don't appear at all in the top five or six of the finishes. I like this going into Monaco, right? Because I, I think if what looks like happened, happened, and Hamilton has figured out this car a little bit more and the car's healthy, then that quality could be a solid bit of work for those two. So, I mean, I think certainly with Monaco, you're not going to have a tremendous amount of purposing going down the straights. There's only one. And I think you know, that, that's it. But when you listen to them, they've solved that problem, but they've still got some purposing through some of the corners and everything like that. And I think that is... The power unit's not there yet, but I think, I don't know, the car's doing way better. Monaco's not a power track. It's not. It's a driver's track, but we know what this is going to look like, right? It's going to be RBR and Ferrari racing, like one through four. It's that fifth position that's something that went. Well, you know, the fifth position is going to be a Mercedes because right now that fifth position has been Mercedes pretty much consistently for the last six races. Right. But which Mercedes is the question? <laughs> it's Russell. Like, I'm, I'm putting my hat on Russell all the I way know. through. I appreciate that. I'm always going to stick with Hamilton, but I would not mind seeing Russell do it either. I mean, I think that's exciting. Like there's a small inkling of me that was like, come on, Danny Rick, fucking park that thing. Like just make it work. We need to come back and talk about Danny Rick at the, somewhere in yeah, this podcast, because I, I think, you know. And we shall. But Randy asked the question, you know, if K-Mag and Hamilton had had that coming together, what would have happened? It would have been a very interesting, like, different race, because Verstappen, without his DRS, may have had to try to pass Hamilton and Russell, same with right. Perez, and there very well could have just turned out much differently. So I think 
the mercs are there or thereabouts and i think they've got the ability to be the spoiler this year and they are as phil said kind of fifth all the time it's formula one there's always somebody who's going to be there to steal from you the moment you goof up and i think the mercs are there to kind of clean up and be the disruptors this year well you know what so like i'm gonna go way ahead like fuck monaco like i'm thinking canada and if that merc an entire principality randy that's racist appetite i know i know but think about this we know that if they've solved the porpoising problem that canada is going to be a hell of a race for merc because the way that that track is built that car with the right downforce and he just knows that track and george has kind of got it nailed down too so i think i don't know i'm kind of excited it's kind of where it's going right like yeah i i think you're putting a lot of weight up to this team and i don't think it's there i mean they're good but they're a solid 13. i think they're a solid 13. But- i think the rbrs and the ferraris are still going to outperform them they got lucky in, in a sense with russell this time that the clerk had the problem but that that's the entire point like they're the disruptor the moment yeah red bull or a ferrari have an issue and we saw russell finished in front of both ferraris because one blew up and the other one spun off Call me an optimist, but Canada's the place to get lucky. Oh, really? You guys leave that silent, honestly? Well, well, it's my COVID brain can't process quick enough all the Canadian races to challenge you on that one. I'm just saying, man. Uh, I was going to say, Randy got lucky at least (laughs) once in Canada. (laughs) I'm just saying, let's go back to Button coming back from nothing to win Canada. And Button drove a skillful race. But he got lucky at the end of that race. He like... You're of course talking about, was that like the 07 Canadian Grand Prix? Is the 07 Grand Prix where like... Yeah. Button spins out, he has to pit, he ends up in 20th, fights back through the field, and then he's behind Vettel in an RBR. And, but for the grace of God, he somehow psychs out Vettel just a little bit. But that wasn't a true psych out. He got lucky. Vettel just lost concentration for a second. And Button took him and took that race. And that's what I'm saying. Like, in Canada, will take you if you're not paying attention. But it's also the place to get lucky. Also the place to find just a little bit of something on the track to get you there. Sorry, I'm trying to remember 2007's Grand Prix. We're going down a rabbit hole here, folks. We have gone down the rabbit hole because he's looking at the wrong year because no, no. no Phil, it was the one that, like, it rained almost much as Spa last year. We spent half the time watching the stewards sweep rain off the track, and then they finally got to racing again. I think that was button in the McLaren, which was McLaren Mercedes back then. Right, ends up something happened, and he lost the front wing. He had a pit, and ends up at twentieth, and just starts to build through the rest of that race. If we still have it, it's the twenty eleven Grand Prix. Actually, is it twenty eleven? Yes, it is. And that's what's confusing with me. That's right, because you were at 2007. I remember this story. Yeah, I think think I was at 2007, because that was Kimi Räikkönen's year, though, in Ferrari. So that was not being any sense. And and, uh, Rolf was still driving the BMW at that point. I remember the story of like that roaring down and you (laughs) spilling a Corona or something. I don't remember that. (laughs) Welcome to the Nostalgia Cast, everybody. We're waiting to still remember (laughs) decades ago. It was 2011. I wasn't there. It was 2011. Shall we move on to the next box? All right. Let's go to bottom five, which I don't think any of us called this one. Oh, and the bottom five finishers, of course, because not everybody who DNFs out of the race is classified as a finisher. Oh, damn it. Okay. (laughs) 
Oh, yes, that's right. We're, we're operating under Gareth's rules here. I just want to be correct to what we're guessing so that we're all in the same playing field. So is SHU Schumacher? Yeah, Schumacher, Stroll, Latifi, Magnuson, Albon with bottom five classified finishers. Okay. I think we need to take points away from Gareth since he's using SHU. So, uh, Gareth, you got to do the impression, but I've got to ask the question, right? Like, what the hell happened to Albon? At some point in the text chat, Spence was like, oh, God. Oh God, what happened to Alvin? What happened to Alvin? Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. Alvin, what Alvin, happened to Alvin? Alvin. Well, I think I'd asked the question. I, I'd woken up, was like, I'm on time for the race, turned it on lap 32. And you look and Albon's like 43 seconds behind the Tifi. You're like, what the hell happened to his race? <laughs> I actually don't know. Again, <laughs> did anybody actually pay attention? Did anyone actually look up and see I did. what happened well, to Alvin's race? I the TV direction again, because it was way off again, but. I was curious what happened to Alex Albon's race. And apparently he was just eating through a set of tires every two laps and said he could have done a five or six stop race and did faster. And there was something about some floor damage that was impacting his stuff, but he was eating through tires and just dog shit slow, uh, so slow that Latifi beat him. Now, the red hair didn't work. The red hair definitely didn't work there. But I, I just want to circle back for a second, Gareth, and just to understand your logic so that I know for future reference when we're talking about bottom five finishes. If only eight drivers finish. Your bottom five classified finishers could also be the same ah. as some of your top five classified finishers. You would have overlap of at least two finishers. But that's actually not how that would be scored, because if you had eight people, then well, no, it's, points would be given to the top ten. Then it would be the bottom five classified finishers. If you go and you look at the FIA official documents as to who the classified finishers of a race are, it will oh, tell you. Randy, we need to change this so that Gareth can't yeah, yeah, do yeah. this like, in the future. Honestly, I need to... Dude, I'm not doing this to score points because I also got it wrong, but I was like, I'm just I doing need this to start to... using FIA language, like technically top five classified, bottom five classified, oh. you know. <sighs> Quali predicted anyway. top five classified versus bottom five classified. Like, I think that's what I got to go. You do, because if you go and you look at the stewards document number 61 from the Spanish Grand Prix, it is the final race classification. Yeah. And there are 18 drivers who are classified as finishing. And then you've got two drivers who are not classified in Zhou Guan Yu and Charles Leclerc. I think it was Nikki Lauda, who is F1 Shakespeare, who said, yeah, first we kill all the lawyers. <laughs> anyway, none of us got the bottom five finishes, classified finishes, non-classified finishes, or whatever the hell it is that we're going to be sticking yeah. with at this time around. No, no, I figured that Yuki Sonoda was just not looking good and he was going to be down in the toilet. I think, did he score points this race? Yeah, Sonoda scored points in this race, I think. I don't know. You're the one with the spreadsheet open in front of you. It's called the internet, Phil. It's called Sonoda came in 10th, gentlemen. There we go. Yeah, Sonoda scored points. Yeah. And I figured, you know, Joe would be down yeah. in the toilet and well, he was, but thanks to his Ferrari engine, he wasn't classified. So there we go. And Latifi, I thought he was going to be last. He wasn't. He wasn't. And Gasly didn't score points either. So I'm taking that a little bit because I just thought Pierre was just nowhere into this weekend. I really did. You're correct. He was absolutely nowhere this weekend. He's kind of been nowhere this season. Yeah. Definitely not had a great season. I'm suddenly didn't have a great race this yeah. time. Yeah. And Danny Rick, like what the hell's going on with Danny Rick? I really don't know. It's been two seasons now with McLaren. He's had time to figure out this car. And I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. Like, Danny Rick is the right personality for F1. But 
I don't know what the hell is technically going on here. It's his third Grand Prix in a row where he's finished outside the points. Yeah, and he's constantly being outshone by Norris. In this case, Norris, even though he had tonsillitis yeah. and didn't know about it. Well, and like Danny Rick's on record is calling it a really, really sad race. Yeah. Yeah, I think McLaren has to test and, and check to be thinking about what are they going to do because they can't have one good driver. I think Norris is a good driver. And then one good driver that's just not performing, which is what they yeah. have right now with, with Ricardo. I mean, they've got to rethink that strategy. They want to move up. They need to have consistent drives. And if Rick can't come to grips with it, then yeah, they need to look at other options. I love this thought, right? Because let me put it at you, Danny, Rick, and Williams alongside Albin. Don't know if that would ever happen. No? Don't know if Williams could afford that to actually happen. Let's put it that well, way. Well, I think Danny uh, Rick could take a pay cut to keep the drive. In an F1? Yeah, I think. In an F1, maybe. Yeah, but do you, do you want to go out like a Felipe Massa, like at the back of the grid? Because is it that important to stay in F1? Well, I mean, I think Danny Rick would be great in NASCAR too. So NASCAR, IndyCar, yeah. Go over. Be good. I think he'd be good, but I think he'd also be like a fun personality and he would do very well. So is that the switch that they make? I mean, McLaren owns an indie team. Do they flip it and try to bring Pato Award in? We blue skied this a while ago. Maybe. But I couldn't even tell you if like Award has a, a super license if he's like legit to drive. He doesn't. That's as I said it, I was realizing where the hiccup's gonna be. Because of the, the crazy way that super licenses are awarded, he doesn't actually have one yeah. to get him onto a Formula no, that's One. Because the super licenses really ignore IndyCar, quite frankly. They do. So let's go over to fastest pit stop. Who had it? I think it was OBR. Absolutely. Uh, it was actually none Ferrari that had, had it. fastest pit stop. Ferrari did a 2.23 for Leclerc and a 2.37 for Sides. And apparently the Leclerc pit stop was the fastest pit stop of the entire season. And none of us picked them. Oh. Really? Oh, yes. okay. The 223. Okay. Got nothing there. Yeah. I figured at least Aston would have fast pit stop and be good at something. They weren't. They didn't even get in the top 10. I figured at this point in time, at least Merck's had enough time to practice. Get it right. Apparently not. But. You're just going to keep on trying with Mercedes, I can tell. I really am going to keep on trying <laughs> with Mercedes. It's what I do. All right. So who's on fire? Box seven. Did anybody get on fire? I don't think I saw. Yeah. Basically, I won that. I, Alpha, Joe's engine blew up. There we go. Oh, that's right. It did. Yep. Well, I wouldn't say it was on fire, but it just... Some uh, fire inside. I don't know if that was on fire or did it have a technical problem. Well, wow, so here's where the lawyers really come in. Because in box six, escape goats, who gets blamed for causing an incident? I put a blank box in. And sure enough, I thought Hamilton might get the blame, but the stewards said, nope, racing incident. On lap one. But there were people who were blaming. No, no, no. You don't get a point for that. First, Randy, answering with a blank box is a failure to submit an answer, not saying no one. If you wanted to truly say that nobody caused an incident, you would write no one in that box. Yeah, that's great. When you host the podcast, you can say so. But <laughs> And secondly, Randall, I do believe, who was it? Gasly got penalized for causing an incident with Stroll. Did he? He did. He got five seconds. Oh, uh, shit. <laughs> Mad, if you will. And actually, and that's one of those Stuart questions that goes back to, because the incident wasn't that dissimilar from the both corner incident with Magnuson and Hamilton. And nothing was adjudicated there. They said, no, nope, that's a racing incident. And then the Stuarts come back however many laps later for the Gasly stroll incident and say, no, nope, that's a penalty for gas. Starting to see a little bit of inconsistency. Had to come in six races in, 
starting to see. I don't know, man. Well, I'm just looking at the Gasly stroll decision here. And the steward said stroll was fully alongside on the outside of Gasly from the turn in to the apex, yeah. gave Gasly room. Gasly understeered into stroll and the stewards found him wholly at fault for the collision. Although the collision was more due to a lack of grip. I would tend to agree with Phil, which is a racing incident, and but <laughs> it didn't happen on the first lap. Cause that seems no. to be the exact fact pattern of what happened between K Meg and Hamilton's. Now K Meg's going around the outside to take on more risk. He was beside and then they came together. I think there was some understeer from Hamilton. I also looked at Hamilton's onboard in that. He didn't seem to kind of slip across the track like you would in the understeer scenario. I don't know. I think it goes back to this. Well, lap one, we're not going to penalize the drivers or anything, but anything further on, we're going to penalize them. Well, if they've made a mistake, you penalize this notion that lap one is immune to that. I think it's ridiculous. You know, Alonzo pointed that out last year too, in the Turkish Grand Prix, right? It's the first sign of inconsistencies on the new realm of stewards this year. So chalk it up and move on. I guess. And just to round out our penalties, Alex Albon got a five second time penalty with a penalty point for leaving the track without a justifiable reason multiple times. Leaving the track without yeah. a justifiable reason. Corner nine, basically. Like, is that their way of saying track limits? That's track limits, yeah. Yeah, it's track limits. It's nine track limits yeah. that were just enough with there anyway, but they were just making it across. Lewis got a black and white at some point during the race for that. You got driving standards flag. Yeah, which is just one lap. That's just one instance before what yeah. Alwan got. I wanted one more time. Yeah, I was going to say, because I think you get, after three instances, they will give you a driving standards flag, and the next one you get a, like, an offense. You get a penalty. Yeah. Yeah. So, nobody, we, we guessed, got blamed. How did our free predictions go, Randy? Yeah, so I completely <laughs> botched this one. I think everybody got that wrong, too. It was like, Russell, in his first incident of the year, it's going to happen, right? Like, Russell's been consistent, but I was like, this is the weekend. Russell has an incident, it becomes a thing. But no, no, I got nothing there. I thought, okay, you know what, uh, Haas, we're both, we're going to hit both cars to finish. I put that in before I'd seen the actual qualifying group. I know, no, no, you uh, said thought, they okay. were going to be finishing in the points. In both points. Haas finished it. In the points, in the points, yes, that's what I meant, right? So they're both going to finish both in Haas the points. Finished, they just didn't finish in the points. They didn't finish in the points. And so I didn't get that. I like the optimism of Spence saying that Verstappen and Leclerc were going to have a coming together. That was actually mine, believe it or not. Was that yours? Oh, I'm sorry, Gareth. I keep getting yellow and pink mixed up. We've only been using this color scheme for two years. Spence's I optimism <laughs> was actually that Magnuson was going to whip Schumacher by four plus places. No points for the golden child. In fact, I think Mick Schumacher finished four more places in front of Magnuson. K-Mag was 17th. Mick Schumacher was 14th. Okay, four places. K-Mag never recovered from that incident with Hamilton. Why he also doesn't have the same car, let's yeah. be honest there. Yeah, you call this week is the Ver Leclerc coming together. It's going to happen. We know it's going to happen. We know it's going to happen. And I was thinking back, you know, Spain 2016, the protagonists came together in that case. They're starting first and second. Maybe this is where, you know, they come together and then they become less gentlemanly with each other. So I'm calling it now. It's going to happen at Cops in Silverstone. That's where those two are coming oh, together. Geez. You know that's where they're coming together. No, 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 no. I disagree. I think we'll be in the second half of the season before they have a coming together. That is the second half of the season. Canada's the midpoint, isn't it? No, it's not. Canada's race eight or nine. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Math. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Math we know is not Randy's strong suit. All that's right. why I'm in <laughs> HR. <laughs> Roger that. I think it's going to happen further on. 
Hungary, Belgium. You actually think they're a race in Belgium? Yeah, I think they're going to race in Belgium. The, the rainout's what happens once. That hula skirt's got some power, man. Uh, the hula skirt's not coming out for a while. I'm sure putting it away until after I come back from Canada because I don't want to be standing in the rain. It builds character. Standing in the rain watching like a cold FP1 on a Friday morning. Oh my God. I've been on the hairpin there in a rainstorm throughout a race. It is not fun. There's nothing finer than having wet underwear and shivering as you drink cold beer. The only thing worse than just sitting there for the race is trying to get back and you're so yeah, And muddy. By the way, our actual halfway point of the year, because Russia has been dropped from the calendar and is now officially not going to be replaced, we have a 22 race season. So our round 11 is Austria and round 12, and technically the halfway points in between Austria and France is France. So somewhere between Austria and France will be our halfway point. <laughs> the halfway point is Germany. <laughs> Switzerland, man. Switzerland. There we go. Know your geography. If you're going to make the joke, know the geography. <laughs> well, maybe Jeez. they would come together and spice up what I'm sure is going to be a boring French Grand Prix. Yeah. What? Paul Ricard being boring? No. No. Well, Spain wasn't boring this year, so maybe, maybe there's hope for France. We're looking for a boring race now. All right, let's move on. Yes, we've done so much box, box, box bingo. And well, we each got some points, Phil and I, and nobody won. Nobody gets a line. Nobody gets a point for box, box, box bingo. A couple of boxes won, but not so much. All right, let's talk about, that's a Netflix moment. Because I feel like this was one of those weekends where we got a few true documentary style Netflix moments. So take us through it, Phil. I mean, I think there's a lot of different ways you can go with this. I'm sticking with my Mercedes and Hamilton hammer point with the Netflix moments and, and saying it's going to be one of two things from Netflix. It's either going to be the story of Russell continuously outshining Hamilton again, or it's going to be Hamilton's repeated double talk, which is save the engine guys. And then going on to do one of his best drives of the season. My tires are gone. Yeah. You know, if he's really does that, which we know he does that for the tires, if that was his intent this time around, that is just horrible and pathetic. And you know what? I'm tired of it. I don't know, man. I think he was feeling it. I think again, the way okay. I heard it, and I know that I'm an apologist, so I'll say it now, but I think he was doing the whole like, just retire the car, save the engine. I'm done. No, no driver does that. Especially if they've got a car they're trying to fight with, because the whole point is to say, okay, you know what? Maybe we're not going to race this one, but maybe let's figure out what we can do to develop. Let me cleave the difference between you two on this, which is Hamilton is not fighting for a championship this year. Had he been in a championship fight, he probably would not have said that. And he was thinking tactically to say, I'm way down here at the bottom. We've got even fewer engines and components this year. Let's save the engine. And who knows, maybe Merck kind of knew there could be the potential for the uh, cooling problems they had at this race. And maybe he says like, okay, let's just do this. And team comes back and says, we've done our sums. We've run the scenarios. We think he can be at least eighth. Decent points for eighth. Keep going. And he actually deferred to his team who had more information and kept going and ended up fifth, which is fantastic points. Yeah, but I mean... I it defies driver logic. I'm sorry, I have to say this in watching the sport for 40 years. That's a defeatist attitude 
not worked out well for drivers in the history. I agree with you. No, no, I agree with you. It does defy driver logic, but like, I feel like that was kind of, again, like, and I'm not saying it was real modesty, false modesty, whatever. It was some sort of modesty that was like, well, shit, we can't do anything with this. So let's just get off the hell of the track. And yeah, it was Lewis saying, I'm not in a championship fight. We can't do anything with this today. Let's save this engine and our allocation of parts. And maybe I can pick up a race win down the road later this season. I think that's one way of looking at it. I don't necessarily agree. I think we're seeing a, a shift in his mentality a little bit here and his approach. And from my perspective and, and as the historical element of this group, you are a historical artifact, yes. I think this is the beginning of the end. This is that point when the driver starts to think like that, that's the end of his career. Will it take two more years, three more years? Maybe. But I think we're not going to see him win championships anymore. Once the driver starts thinking that way, it's done. Interesting. And you've given the episode the title, right? It's either Hammer Point or Getting Hammered. That's the title of the episode. It'll probably be Hammer Point. But yeah, I'm there. Guess. I mean, it's kind of the next Netflix moment. And of course, they have the, the benefit of retrospectively fitting whatever happened into the narrative that they want to present. This could be the weekend that Ferrari crumbles, that Red Bull crumbles, and we'll talk about that in a bit, or that uh, Mercedes crumbles. Compare and contrast the radio messages and the behavior from Lewis and Charles and Carlos and Max and even Sergio. Like Max was just yelling at his team. He wasn't being very nice, quite frankly, about the yeah. DRS stuff. Like, it's more than like millionaires whining. Like, he just kind of laying into them. Like, this shouldn't happen, all this sort of stuff. And you've got Hamilton who says, I want to save the engine. The team comes back and says, you can finish this high. We think, okay, I'll keep going. Which was not a, oh my God, this is the worst. I want to retire the car. It was, this is what I think. This is what we think. Okay, keep going. And then Charles Leclerc, like his engine pops. He says, oh, bad word, bad word. And then after the fact, kind of you know, goes around the garage, hugs everybody and says to the media, hey, so many positives, all that sort of stuff. Same with Carlos. Like he never got down on the team or anything like that. And it's team sport. You know, and here's the fun thing, right? Like if I were a Netflix director writing an episode, I would actually call this episode Radio Gaga. Yeah. Like make it about radio. <laughs> actually, that's funny. We'll license that to you, Netflix. Yeah, like, make it about the radio calls. You know, like, yeah, part of the strategy of the radio, but also just, like, the way that F1 plays out on the radio, right? And the way that, as a watcher, that we take these things and play them out in certain ways. And I think that, to me, is a compelling documentary moment. Of We hear, like, Max go nuts on the radio. We hear Lewis with his tire calls or his call today. We hear others, like doing what they do and like the two of you know like us as fans like we take these radio calls we're trying to figure out what the hell's going on with the driver what the hell's going on with the car we're trying to read into them but the prime example is actually saturday's radio call from max at the end of qualifying where he radios in that he's got a loss of power which the team has come back and said that was actually on the straight i don't quite agree because i've rewatched where it was coming oh philip i disagree huh? because i have rewatched some of the onboards like you did and my working theory is that the radio call audio when you're watching a driver on board on f1 tv lags the video i know it's not on time absolutely yeah. but when you're looking at how he's driving 
because on the onboard, you can actually see the rev counter. It doesn't seem to be off from previous laps down that strip. But he's just feeling slow. Like he's just feeling like there's less power yeah. and he, your DRS flap's not open. That's a significant, was going to be like 5% of your top speed, 13, 14 miles an hour. Again, right? Like here's how I play out the episode. If I'm the director, I purchased that clip from Paramount from Days of Thunder, where Tom Cruise is in the MRI machine. You just want that clip, let's be honest. You've used it a yeah, few times. Yeah, he's in the MRI machine, and he's like, man, there's somebody that talks to me on the radio when I'm driving. And then, like, you hear, like, the back and forth with, like, the engineers and the drivers and the team and the drivers. And you, just, you make it about the radio and how the radio impacts the drivers, but also impacts the way that we watch the race. And again, I would call it Radio Gaga, right? Because of, like the way the direction works, they are being babies on the radio and that's what we hear. I'm sure there's a whole lot more that happens. But I think, again, this is how Netflix recovers from season four or season three or whatever it was, is like telling these stories of like the interesting things about the racing and the stuff that happens. Like, tell me about what happens to the radio. Tell me what happens in the pit. Tell me stories of some of the marshals. Tell me some of the stories of like all of the other things around the sport that impact the sport so that the drama of season three doesn't really play out the same way and people get back to the excitement of the sport itself, right? Like this is what season one and two was like. It really was about the sport itself and got you into this stuff. I mean, of course, like, there are people smarter than me that do this and that direct these things for Netflix. But I think that's where I would go. It was like, I would do a whole episode on the radio. I think if it was this race and it's Netflix and they're trying to actually recover and build back to what was seasons one and two of Drive to Survive, I think they're more likely what they should be focusing on then is actually the race itself and the, and the moments that, that transpired. That's what made those seasons fun. The drama in season three didn't make it fun. And if you start talking about radio, that was, that was the drama of season three. I don't think you don't recover by using the same tactics you had that through season three for a month. I disagree. Anyway. I think you I think reappropriated it properly to tell the story of how radio plays a part in the race, rather than it being about here are the radio calls and it created this. The radio calls in general, like, I mean, they're always going to be there, right? Like all of us listen to radio and play this out i think there's these great moments of like the calls back and forth and like you were the one who called it out right like lewis saying like just retire the car it has been years of lewis saying my tires are gone when you know it's not gone and max like i got no power i got no nothing like yeah, yeah max you're fine like it's all there and there are moments too like charles has had them there's been other moments like yuki on the radio last year was pretty funny there's a lot of potential for just talking about how radio itself is part of the racing and, and part of the fun of the whole damn thing. Yes, but that's not what makes great TV. And that's what Drive to Survive was. It was great TV in seasons one and two. I disagree with that. Drive to Survive in the first two seasons was great TV because it was great documentary. It wasn't great TV because it was traditional Netflix, like marry me or die no. type of reality TV. It, it was true documentary TV and it was great. So like my Netflix moment was the next Lawrence Stroll interview. So I remember this distinctly from season two where Stroll does an interview with Netflix 
I have never cheated. I am not a crook. <laughs> Anybody who wants to see that, there really should be a video for that one because Randy was pretending to be Richard Nixon. Yeah. Just say it like, and again, this is going to come up, and you know, like, Laura Stroll is going to try to pull a Gretzky. Everybody's against us. I've never cheated. We didn't steal anything from anybody. Yada, yada, yada. Who knows what's what at this point? Yeah, but okay, here's the thing. How many times do you have to get cold in front of somebody for accusations of cheating before it becomes actually a reality? They're running a fine line. Here's a team that has carbon copied a Mercedes a number of years ago, practical terms, right? They're probably doing something similar. There's no doubt. Nobody denies that the, the knowledge the engineers took with them is being applied somehow, right? It shouldn't be, but how do you take knowledge out of somebody's brain? You go into HR. Make them listen to this podcast? <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, that's how you take the brain out of somebody's mind, but that's okay. Right. No, I think that's going to be another Netflix moment is the next Lauren Stroll interview of like, no, I did not steal this. I didn't steal it then. I didn't steal it now. I am not a crook. I think that's going to be a Netflix moment. Just to circle back on the AMR piece and everything like that. A team to develop basically two cars and two ideas and two plans and to go with one like they did. I'm not sure I believe it. That's a lot of resources to invest in two different directions. Here's two designs. We're going to go with the safe design first, and then we'll roll out kind of the riskier second design that may, maybe we haven't developed as much. I don't buy it. That's a ton of money. Well, the guys came over with Red Bull and they're like, listen, I got to sketch what's in my head. We'll see how Red Bull's doing with this next year. And then we'll show up with it if it's going to be okay. I think that's more what's happening. And then we apply it to the rules to say, I'm going to sketch this. We'll run the designs for it. So we've got them on paper and CAD files and everything. Yeah. So they were compliant with the rules. Well, Red Bull seems to think that there's monsters under the bed and they're going to do an internal investigation and who knows. It's not the first time there's been monsters under the bed. I mean, we go back to, what are we talking, 2010? Talking with Spygate? Spygate? Or was that 2008? Might be 2008. I got my We've been off with our dates this year, so it's, who knows? Who knows? But anyways, we're talking way back. It's not the first time it's happened and we'll be the mm -hmm. last. I concur. What you doing, Lewis? All right. Let's talk radio calls or broadcasts. Quotes. We've talked about many of these good ones, but I think, Phil, you might have highlighted a couple. I had three that really stood out for me. One that we've talked about to death, and I won't talk about it much more, but I just want to say it is think about saving the engine. Lewis's comment still doesn't sit well with me. The best commentator comment of the weekend got me cracking up, and it was when Max's DRS wasn't working, and Brundle said, doesn't really stay. We all rolled. And I'm like, <laughs> I love that one. And we just rolled off and we went straight out. And even Crofty took it sort of, you could see him, imagine him doing a double take on Brunel on that one. But I think the biggest piece that we should talk about it a bit is, is there some chink in the Red Bull armor happening here? Checo is finally speaking up a little bit more. You know, he's appreciative of, of having the drive, but he didn't feel happy with the decision that they made to do the swap back and, and to let Verstappen go past. Well, it was a couple of decisions. Yeah. Because there, there was a swap earlier and when he said he wanted to be left through on newer tires and after the race, he was incredibly diplomatic about it. Like he was proper about it, but he just one little pause. Yeah, he knows his place. He knows he's number two in the team, but I think he would have expected and certainly I think he wanted uh, a little bit more freedom so early on in the season where you've got a lot of 
time to play catch up. We were talking about this, I think, in the Jetta podcast, I think, Phil, where Perez had qualified on pole and is he going to get moved aside? And it didn't, you know, but for an ill-time safety car, it didn't have to get discussed further. So Perez is also in the midst of his contract talks with RBR. And I'm sure you know, a little bit of drama, but he also wants to win. That's true. Well, he also wants to race. Yeah. And I think this is certainly his best chance and, and best team to be with. So here's where like my tinfoil hat goes on, right? Because Checo lets him by, fine. And Max then starts speeding down the line. But like now all of a sudden there's a good solid 15, 20 seconds between them on the track. Like how do they finish? I can't remember in terms of time, but like, I mean, there was, and it's one of these things where I think Horner said after the race, like, we'll show them the data. And there were reasons we did this. And the data was basically Max is on a proper three stopper. He's going to be faster. It's part of the team game, let him through. And then Checo was, I think nine or 10 seconds behind. And then they did a, okay, let's pit you. Cause you've, you've got a free stop and you can go get fastest lap. Yeah, like even before they pit him though, like he was running slow. Like it was almost, again, the tinfoil hat part of mine was like, it feels like they turned down the engine at some point because they were like, don't fight him. No, he was on old used mediums that had been on the car for probably a dozen or 20 laps or something like that. And that's where his lap times were. And don't get me wrong, I know that Red Bull's going to be able to justify why they made the switch the way they made the switch, because yes, as you've talked about, it is a tire strategy thing. It's all about that at the end of the day. But I think Checo's probably feeling that he wanted a little bit more out of that. You know, he was leading them. He didn't want to get moved aside as early in the year. And it's one of these, if this championship goes down to the wire between Leclerc and Verstappen, there's never going to be a moment where Checo gets made whole on that. Unlike some like the, the Schumacher Barrichello stuff where it's like, well, Michael's basically won the championship or has a million point lead. So we can let Rubens win this one. Are we still waiting for Checo's maiden win? No, he's won already. He won in a racing point secure. Fucking brilliant. Yeah. Oh, Amazing right, race. Yeah, he, and he, then he, he won Azerbaijan last year in a Red Bull. That's, that's Thanks, Pirelli. I don't know. I mean, I think if it pays back, pay it back in Mexico. Right, like you can't orchestrate that A and B. Mexico is far enough down the line that they're going to be. Mexico is the third to last round of the year, and if this championship is going down to the wire, which it very well could, you're absolutely not going to pay him back in Mexico. Hopefully, they do. I'm saying, from a brand standpoint, if you can pay, go back, pay him back in Mexico, where the money pours in after Pekka wins that. From the Mexican sponsors, yeah. Yeah, like the money pours in like rain after Checo wins that race. Like The uh, smart thing is you do Checo on a two-year extension, have him win in Mexico and reap the rewards. And at the end of that, he's done with Red Bull, probably done with Formula One, and you've done a good thing and you can bring in somebody younger who can maybe challenge Max. I think Red Bull's gonna have to be thinking about somebody sooner rather than later. I mean, I know they've got Max locked in until 2028. That's a long time. Let's talk silly I mean, season, Phil. It's it's on the board. Sure, and let's talk silly season. Absolutely. We had in free practice one, was it Checo gave up a spot for Estonian felony Muri Vips. And Alex Albon gave up his seat for Nick DeVries. Nick DeVries. Formula E champion, I think two times. Mercedes young driver, yada, yada, yada. Mercedes-Benz driver program member, F2 champion. And what do we think about that? Like... Vips seem to be just doing very much a 
like basically on cruise control, just writing a bunch of simulations, not trying to go for anything fast. I think there were two different tests yes. right there. I mean, I, I think Red Bull was doing exactly that. There was a driver development mm-hmm. test, shall we say? Well, it actually technically was like all the teams are required to run somebody in a free practice session throughout the year, at least twice. It can be two different somebodies with the same driver twice who are people who haven't had uh, F1 seat time before. Absolutely. But I think like Phipps's drive was literally just run through a program. I think with uh, DeVries, I think it's very different. So just kind of overall evaluation. Let's see how this guy handles himself in the big team environment. And how do you compare with the driver that we already have in that car that we're not quite happy with? Let me ask the question that we're not asking, right? Do we make Andrew Spencer's license plate obsolete in the next couple of weeks? Mm, I think it's obsolete. I like, like sent around the link to the overstock section of the Williams Racing Store. The Nick Latifi hats aren't there yet, but I feel like they should be coming. <laughs> I'm just saying. Between his tires and that license plate, we could probably grab Andrew's AMG for pretty cheap. <laughs> and the amount of dog hair in it. But are we all thinking Latifi's going to be out in the next few races? Like mid-season switch? I don't think he sees the end of the season. I don't think it happens until after Canada. You don't switch a driver out before his home race that way. I don't think so. Sure you do. If it's the right decision to be made. I think you smell more merch running Nick Latifi in Canada one way or another. Well, and you've got Canadian sponsors on the car too. That's the other thing. I don't think Nick sees out the season. I don't think he sees out the season, but I don't think, again, if we're talking the middle being between Paul Ricard and Austria at the Hillring, I I think it happens on the back end of that. Like, I don't see it happen before then. Let him run. I think they just kind of keep seeing where he is relative to Albon. So we've got Monaco, Azerbaijan, and then Canada. If Latifi has a terrible Monaco, get him out of the car fresh and by John, because stuff always happens there. Put Nick DeVries in, like it, it's kind of got some docky Formula E type bits to it. Monaco, say it right, Monaco. Oh. I think, I look at from the other side, it's, it's what's going to give DeVries the best chance to do well with the car. And that's going to be a circuit like Canada. If we're going to be frank, that's going to be the circuit well, no, you're not going to be Frank. Rip Frank. Okay, yes, thank you very much. I'm Phil. Yes, I work with comedians, folks. If you want a job on Flippin' F1, please call me. Wait, as in job get paid? <laughs> no. Saying, like, what the hell, man? I forgot what I was saying now. I think Nick is out within the next three races at most. Yeah, I don't think it happens before Canada. Well, you got that Nick Latifi grandstand we couldn't afford to buy tickets to. That's true. Hey, but think of the discounts we could get it for now <laughs> if he doesn't make it to Canada. <laughs> and so the other post on the board is Danny Rick. What the hell's going on? Well, yeah, and I think we covered it briefly, but, you know, McLaren has to be wondering what is going on? What do we do with this guy? You know, we've signed him up. He's not performing as expected. He didn't all last season. Well, they've probably paid him like a metric fuck ton of money, too. Yeah, I really think McLaren's got to be looking at, at their options. If you want to be a team to to do well in the midfield, you've got to have both cars in the field. For the record, a metric fuck ton of money is only one sixth of an imperial fuck ton of money. So, still won't buy a freehold house in Toronto. <laughs> but the shoebox you live in is perfectly fine. But yeah, and I think McLaren's got to be thinking about what they're going to do there. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know what their options are really at that point, because, you know, 
their reserve drivers stoffel. Well, and they also trade off a little bit with Mercedes, like they can use DeVries if he's free as well. Now that'd be interesting. That would be interesting. DeVries gets a drive with McLaren? I would waffle on Stoffel. Come on, Stoffel, you flying waffle. was the best F1 sign I think I'd ever seen hung on a course. Let's get a Winger Wow, your impressions of the weekend. Three takeaways from this week's race. One driver team observation. One overall race or venue impression. And one future of the sport. This is my favorite one. Gareth, talk to us. Everybody versus FIA. This is my future of the sport thought. The FIA seems to be picking fights with absolutely everybody involved in the sport. Be it drivers, be it the teams themselves or be it Formula One, Liberty Media, the, the commercial rights holder who actually leased the rights from the FIA itself. FIA is the sanctioning body. And so we, we've seen all the bullshit about underwear and about piercings, like they're going after drivers for being unique, for being different. We've got Fernando Alonso called the stewards kind of incompetent. And then Mohammed bin Salman, the uh, head of the FIA, seems to have taken him aside and said basically, you know, you're going to find you like in a concrete barrel in the desert without your feet on to keep this up. And he kind of turned tail and apologized in some respects. Pretty sure he didn't say that, but you know, that that's Gareth's opinion, just so everybody knows. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then they've got kind of fights going on with Liberty Media about the show and the sport and how it's being regulated. Isn't the FIA kind of trying to flex just to say, hey, we're still here, we're still relevant? But everybody seems to be displeased with the FIA. The FIA seems to be making some silly decisions. We don't know if it's like the post-Massey hangover where they're scared to do anything and then do something incredibly wrong. Yeah, who knows? I don't know. Phil, what do you think about the FIA and everybody? I, I mean, it's a change in leadership at the top. And I think Ben Salem has got a different way of leading and doing his thing than John Tott did. Tott, you know, been around the sport for God knows how many decades. Mm-hmm. And he very much managed the FIA, I would say, the same way he managed Ferrari as a team. You know, he was a little bit free with the process. Laissez-faire, if you will. Laissez-faire. That's a great, exactly. Thank you. And I think this new guy, he's got a different approach. He's a very much stronger, hands-on, controlling way of doing it. And I think you're feeling it. As command and control. And he wants everybody who's involved to understand FIA is in control. Not the commercial rights holder, not the drivers. And I think, to be honest with you, I think what transpired at the end of last season has a large part to play in this, mm-hmm. to sort of enough with the drama. This is what we're doing. This is how we're moving forward. And sort of, it's a very factual way of doing it. I don't know. Time is going to tell. Well, that's how the sport used to be wrong, wasn't it? It's not the first time that we've had FIA and, and the commercial rights holders at odds. I mean, the sport has a history of this for many, many, many decades in many iterations and formats. So it's going to be interesting to see how this curtails back uh, and whether it's going to be a a comfortable resolution at the end or whether uh, it's just going to piss everybody off and you're going to see teams threatening to leave divisions again. This also like the Andretti thing saying, we'd like to come in. And the FIA is saying, well, no, we're maybe not going to let you come in. And Liberty Media is like, more the merrier, let's potentially figure out the money end. So there seem to be some, let's call it differing interests. 
Yeah, the FIA and everybody else need to sort out their stuff, get barriers in place in Miami and shut up about Lewis Hamilton's piercings. Like driver team observation is this is a team sport and people have said it's the biggest team sport in the world because without it, you really can't do a thing. And these teams, Red Bull, Merck, Ferrari need to sort out how they're going forward. We've talked about like the whinging from Max and bad comments. That has a trickle down effect. Same with maybe Sergio saying, well, but okay, but that sets the tone for your entire organization. And if you want to be successful and win on a sustainable basis, your organization has to be on a consistent, it's called brand message or customer experience, if you will, Randy. What? That's not a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. So it, it, it seems we've seen some different team approaches this weekend. And I think Red Bull, especially, they seem to be potentially edging towards a less good place. It's a team sport. You've got to work together. That's my driver or team observation. My venue impression is, we talked about this, the fiddly bit of the Spanish track turns 12, 13, 14, 15. These stupid 90 degree fiddly bits that we have because the cars run off too fast, whatever. There are ways to presumably make that better. People have written in the videos at length about it. Because I, I watched a few onboards. I think what Charles Leclerc's qualifying onboard, beautiful lap, but it just looks so awkward, ungainly. And I don't think it adds anything to the racing, quite frankly. And then for uh, next race, is Monaco cursed for Charles? He's Monegasque. You know, he had the pole drama last year where he put it in the wall and then couldn't start the race. And Leclerc, home, it's always wonderful to see a driver win their home race. And I would love to see that. I like it. Phil, talk to us. Winter Wow. Number one, team impressions. I have to say that Mercedes is a solid third team. They're not number one this season. And I think they're struggling a little bit with that. Now, Gareth talked about it being a team sport, which it absolutely is. And there's a lot of trickle-down effects based on conversations that happen. I would say that's a team that is probably going to struggle a little bit. And I think if you look back in history, it's very rare that a team can drop down the rankings and then bounce back very quickly. Oftentimes, they start to lose members. They start to lose momentum. And the team will stay down there for a couple of seasons before they start to bounce back. And I think this, unfortunately, may be the start of that for Mercedes. Philip, I've sent you an email. <laughs> I expect to get an email from Toto Wolf for me saying that for sure. I think when it comes to the track and the venue, Gareth hit it on the mark. Corners 13, 14, and 15. It has to be looked at. But I think it's bigger than just that when we look at this track. Overtaking is not easy at the circuit. You know, we saw some good ones, but it's not common that we can see that. And I think we've got to look at how do we enable uh, those cars to pass a little bit easier around that circuit. And that may mean reprofiling some of the other corners that are actually out there on the track. I think future of the sports, this is a season where reliability and the reliability woes are showing signs for every team. And that's what's going to actually, at the end of the day, unfortunately, lead to a number one team and driver's champion at the end of the season is which team can come to grips with these reliability issues the best and the quickest. And then finally, I'm looking forward to Monaco. Uh, I think it's a fantastic circuit. And I'm not looking forward to the podcast where I'm going to have to say Monaco repeatedly without fucking it up. So no, I'm looking forward to that race. It's usually not a lot of passing, but it is always a good race to to watch. You know, I'm always stoked for a time when we get two races within a week, right? And 
with Monaco being later on this week. And, you know, let's go. Like, vamos. Honestly, I think this is Carlos's shot to, like, qualify the crap out of himself and really put himself in the lead from the beginning. I really think that the Mercs are going to make a play here, right? Like, they're a fast car and they can do something if the drivers dial it in, but let's see what happens. In terms of, like, takeaways from this week's race, driver or team, I'm kind of like, guys, what the heck's happening with Haas? Like, I think your heroes one week, your zeros the next week, come on, show up and show up consistently. I really want to see that team do well. I think they put in their dues last year. There's still a lot of opportunity. K-Mag can drive the crap out of that car and let's see what happens next week. And the alphas next week are going to be something to watch, right? Like on the low, low downforce track, let's see what they do. Like this is going to be interesting stuff. Race or venue impression, the stories of people lining up for hours to get water or get pop or get whatever, like that's actually, you know, and again, like customer experience is not a thing, but it is a thing. And in the modern era of events, that should never be a thing. Like, I get it. Labor is hard to find these days. There's lots of different factors, but you can figure this crap out. Honestly, the whole idea and the whole ethic should be get people back to the stands so that they can watch the race. And that's not going to get people back to the stands, especially if you're a new fan. Yeah, the whole idea, like come in, more automation, more people, more things that get people back to the stands. That's what you're looking for. So Spain, like get it together, Spanish Grand Prix organizing committee who are now are not going to sponsor us, but you know, deal with it. Please, please, please Continental sponsor us. And then, you know, future of the sport is a really interesting thing. I had this conversation with somebody this week. They were like, you know, when do drivers retire? And I was like, well, we kind of got a lot of old men driving right now and a lot of young men just waiting to get in. And women. Yeah, and especially young women. That's I'm going to go next because Gareth, Alicia wants us to do a whole episode on the W series. I got a whole talking to this week about it. So somebody just has to broadcast it so we can watch it. Yeah, we need to be able to get access to the races. Right? I, I think we're going to. I mean, if I can't watch it, how am I supposed to comment well, on it? Well, and this is the thing. And, and it, it's great to do a one-off, but it, you've got to be able to, to understand it, which means you've got to be able to watch more than just one other, you know? I'm all for it, but we need a broadcaster to give us this. That is my future of the sport thought. Is like, look, if I'm going to pay what I pay to have access to F1 TV, like, make it reliable and give me the access to everything from that weekend. It was mostly reliable this weekend, I think. And I think the issue here is, and I heard it on a podcast, like the TV rates for W series are not with F1 TV, apparently, hmm. where the kind of the F1 commercial rates holder that way, because it was done as kind of a not one off thing. And so hopefully in the future, future seasons, that does change. But you're right, like there's right now 20 spots and there's a few old farts hanging around. Fred Alonso said that'll maybe Lewis Hamilton getting a bit long in the tooth. Yeah, definitely Lewis. And honestly, like Sergio is kind of at the end of his career as well, getting towards it. Like Bottas is there too. Bottas, I forgot about him. I mean, you've got about half. By the time all is said and done, you've got about just a little less. You've actually only got about eight drivers that are in that upper echelon of have been around long enough that they would retire. Right? It's always a problem in Formula One, though. There's 20 seats. And you've got 
your current group of drivers, people that drove before that want to come back, that should still be in the sport before whatever reasons aren't. And then you've got the up and comers behind. There's never enough seats and spaces to put all this talent into. And, you know, we go through a couple of years where you don't see a lot of change. And then you go through a couple of years where you see six or seven drivers will change. Do you know what the actual answer to this problem is, Bill? comes in 2025 when the regs get redone again. Offshore power boating. In offshore power boating, you actually have three drivers. You've got one person doing the navigation, one person doing the throttles for the engine, and usually somebody else who's steering the boat. They usually bifurcate the navigation, the steering. So you just do uh, like a tandem thing and you've got like one person doing the pedals, one person doing the steering, maybe a third person doing the, the gear shifting. So we have a three-person car now. Yeah. And who do you give the credit to? That's the end, the end of the day question. No, I don't think that's an answer, Gary. <laughs> Although that'd be a fun sport for the three of us. To oh my to. goodness, that'd be a blast. Uh, you know. uh, I know, I go back to what I was saying. Like, I, I really want to see Jamie Chadwick run like an FP1, FP2. Like and Jamie Chadwick is the two-time defending W Series champion who I think has won every race this season. Yeah. Her third season in the sport. She is a Williams development driver, I think. And I think that Williams has about 80,000 development drivers. But yeah, I would love to see her run an FP1. Yeah, I really would love to see what she can do in that car and really push it. And what I've loved about what I've read about her races, I haven't seen any of her races outside of like retrospective YouTube videos, is she is like, she's smart and she's creative and she's got a way of running that car. I'm super excited about the possibilities. There are kind of a couple issues I see. And I watched some of the F3 and the F2 this weekend. And there are no female F3 drivers or F2 drivers, as far as I could tell from just kind of what, what I saw. And the W series cars are actually kind of like a Formula 4 car. So there really needs to be a progression of W series drivers like through the F1 ladder into F3 and F2 as well. Yeah, because I, I don't know if you can take somebody out of a F4 car and put them into like do sim work and then put them into an F1 car and have, you know, meaningful success for both that person as a driver, as well as the team as a team. Lots to think about. So as we finish up, here's your chance. Everybody do your best. Andrew Spencer saying goodnight impression. Oh, good night, everybody. Adies. 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 Professor? Adies. Gotta go. Good night. Good night, folks. Gotta go. <laughs> So, uh, Randy, I got to disagree with you because uh, I actually don't think this is good night. I think actually it's a very bad night because I'm not here. And, you know, Randy, I, I think... Uh, it's not even dying BC yet. Yeah, like, uh, I think, Randy, that we have a lot to talk about still. But if you guys got to go, then yeah. So I, I'm, I'm going to hit the links in the morning and see you bye. Oh, my. And with that, good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Good night, folks. Thanks for checking out Flippin' F1. As always, you can check us out on Twitter at Flippin' F1. This has been a Hobby Farm production, and it's edited by Eric Wellman, who makes us sound far funnier, far smarter, far better than we actually are. Thanks, Eric. We love you. All right, catch y'all up on the flip side just a few days from now when the circus finds itself in Monaco, in the principality that's monaco randy for those that want to keep on going about this. i'm just saying you should check out the mclaren sweaters this year that hoodie is fire oh it's so nice oh, i haven't looked at Yo, it yet. it's so nice man like i like it anyways all right thanks everybody good night good night